Let's bow our hearts, shall we? Heavenly Father, as we come humbly before your word this morning, we want you to speak to us. Lord, we want to hear your voice. What you've got to say for each one of us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word that once again we're reminded that it is living and powerful. Lord, your word is alive. And the Lord, it has the power to change us, to change the way that we think, to change the way that we look at ourselves and the way we look at this world. And so, Lord, just do a work in us this morning, we pray. Lord, wherever we are. Lord, it doesn't matter how far away we may have strayed, it's just one step back. And so this morning, speak to us, just teach us, encourage us, edify us, we pray. And may Jesus be glorified and exalted, for we ask it in his name. Amen. So we are up to the fourth chapter in our study through the Second Kings. And we were, I was intending on covering this chapter last week, and we kind of, there was a lot of bits that went in last week that weren't rehearsed or planned, that just, sometimes I waffle, sometimes it's the Lord, I hope more it's the Lord than my waffling, but nevertheless we are going to look at this chapter this morning, and, and as I've gone through this this week, it's been incredible. There are some times that, and you probably, I hope you know this yourself, there are times that God just speaks to you and just stirs your heart and just, just you know, shows you things maybe from his word. And, and this, this chapter this week is just one of those. Because it's a chapter that you could look at, and we're just going to see some of the miracles Elisha does. And it's kind of like, okay, God, why that? And then another one, okay, why that? Why did you choose that particular thing? There doesn't seem to be any particular sequence as such as you look at it. There doesn't seem to be any particular reason. And of course, you know, we've talked before about miracles and God working these things. And of course, for Elijah, we see how those miracles were a response to God's word. So what's the purpose of these miracles that we have here? Well, we're going to see that in this chapter, and going into chapter 5, there's five specific miracles. These are miracles of God's grace. And the, the, there is a sequence to this. And there is a plan behind it. Because these are things that are not just there for the recipients that we read about in this account this morning. But these are here for us. And these are all examples of the way God's grace will work in your life. And so, rather than just being an historical account of something that took place thousands of years ago, this morning, this is a message, I believe very firmly, that God has for this fellowship right now. And more importantly, for each of you individually. So I pray that your hearts are open and just remove any preconceived ideas. Just let God minister us this morning through his word. These are the ones we're going to look at. The first miracle is a miracle of God's provision. We're going to see that. Then a miracle um, which has to do with posterity. I'll explain that and why it impacts us and so on. Then a miracle of healing. It's actually life from the dead. The ultimate healing. Then a miracle where God's peace comes. And then finally, a miracle of God's cleansing. And each one of those are there for us. The problem is we don't always become recipients of them because... We're not always in tune with God. We don't always go to God for these things. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we conclude in about two hours' time. No, just joking. Okay, so the first one, the provision. So chapter 4, let's look at the the first few verses, picking up verse 1. Now, there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, 
And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. So the situation is this woman is in debt to this creditor. She's got nothing to pay with. Her sons have been taken away as payment for this debt. And so she comes to Elijah desperate now. And verse 2 carries on. It says, Elisha said unto her, what shall I do for thee? It's kind of, for Elisha, it's like, Lord, just give me something easy to start with. And this is kind of new into his ministry here. And this challenge. And he says, tell me, what hast thou in thy house? And I, clearly the Lord just prompting Elisha. And she said, thine handmaid has not anything in the house. <laughs> Save a pot of oil. I've just got a pot of oil. That's all I've got left. Then he said, go, borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbours, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. So go and get as many containers as you possibly can. Go to all your neighbours, just ask to borrow some vessels. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and, turn, and upon thy sons, and shall pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So in other words, if you've got some oil, you're going to pour it into these vessels. As soon as that vessel's full, just put it on one side, that container, and carry on doing it. So she went forth from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, bring me another vessel, give me another container. And he said unto her, there's not a vessel more, we haven't got any more containers, everything's been used up. And the oil stayed. No more containers and suddenly that's it. Then she came and told the man of God and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay the debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. So suddenly she's in a position where she's now got an abundance of oil, and she's able to go and sell this with the money, with the proceeds that come from this sale of this oil. She'll not only be able to pay the debt, but it's going to give her enough to live on for her and her family. I mean, this clearly is God's grace. Grace, again, I love the, the best definition, I think, of grace, certainly for me, is, is unmerited favour. That's what grace is. Something you don't deserve, but something that God gives. Why? Because he's good. Again, Psalm 119, verse 68. God is good and does good. And God just does something wonderful here. She hadn't earned this. She didn't deserve it. It's just a miracle of God's grace. And, of course, we see that in our own lives. Now, the interesting thing, and I believe the Lord just kind of led me to this as I was studying, is that all of these speak of a specific character of God that's revealed in Scripture. Now, the first one in Genesis 22 is the phrase that we read in this passage, and we'll read it in a second, but Jehovah, as God, Jireh, provides. The Lord provides. And it comes from Genesis 22, we read verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold... Um, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns and Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son you remember the account of course Abraham has been called of God to go and offer up his son his only son we see a wonderful picture of the father offering up his own son and so on and suddenly as Abraham is about to plunge the knife into Isaac God says stop no because it was a test of his faith and wanted to see his obedience But God would never condone child sacrifice. So God doesn't allow him to do that. And then verse 14 we read, And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. Now, most of scripture we have is translated for us. 
So we have the English equivalent of what the original Hebrew or Greek would say. But this particular phrase is untranslated, effectively. So Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Now that phrase again literally means the Lord provides, or the Lord is my provider. That's what that phrase means. Psalm 37, verse 23 through to 26, we read there, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. And then David says, I've been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor seen his seed begging bread. He's ever merciful and lends, and his seed is blessed. Just a psalm speaking of God who provides for those that are his. We read in Philippians chapter 4 verse 19, But my God shall supply all your need, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. We're told that the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills. There's nothing he can't do. He can meet every need that you have. It's Paul that writes this, whilst effectively a prisoner. And he writes this to the church at Philippi, who were no doubt very close to his heart. He only spent a short time with them. You remember he's imprisoned while he was there and the Philippian jailer comes to know the Lord and his house is saved and the whole thing. It's just a wonderful time that Paul spends with them. And Paul writes this. All that Paul had gone through, every experience he'd seen in his life. And Paul had been in situations where he'd not had the things that we would consider necessary. But he writes this and says, But my God shall supply all your need, everything that you need, according to his riches. And God, God's riches are beyond anything we can imagine. God shall supply your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You see, this is just a faith thing. To trust and believe that God really will provide everything we need. It may not be everything we want. Or how God works in incredible ways. I just want to share a little account with you. Dave Shirley um, was one of the pastors speaking over the pastors conference recently. He heads up the Bible College uh, for Calvary Chapel over in Costa Mesa. He was just speaking. They were in a situation. They were applying for um, uh, acceptance or to get uh, um, permission, authority for their school, the Christian school they were setting up, and they needed a particular license, whatever, to to be passed. And he had a meeting that morning with the person uh, in the various government department that was supposed to be granting or not, as the case may have been, this license. So he had to go and see him. It's like an interview and see whether or not they pass. And he was very concerned. You know, Lord, we really want this and we really be seeking God. And he was driving along on the way to this meeting. And uh, Dave said that he was kind of one of those characters um, that always likes to get there early. Some of you can relate to that. Others, it's just a concept. Um, and he said he, 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 it was a meeting, I think it was at um, 9 o'clock in the morning, and he was travelling along, uh, the, they call it the freeway, but it's a motorway, isn't it? Um, and uh, on, on route, he saw this car that was broken down the side of the road, and he really felt the Lord say, pull over. So at that point, he, uh, he said, you know, just trying to ignore God's voice, he said, I've got to go to the meeting, so carried on. But got to the, the junction where this meeting was, and he was about 25 minutes early, so he had plenty of time, and the building was right there. He pulls off the junction, 
And he said, the Lord just really convicted him. So he said, I had to go all the way back, then drive back past the, to get to the, the previous junction to turn around, come back, pull over to help this chap at the side of the road. He's getting very anxious, thinking, oh, Lord, you know, I've got this meeting. It's so important that we get this. And, you know, kind of like one of those, God, surely you, you don't you understand the kind of situation? Anyway, he pulls over to this chap and says, look, you know, can I help at all? And he said, oh, he said, it's not a problem. He said, oh, I've called uh, um, the, the pickup truck. He said, they're going to come and sort the car out. He said, but I've just got to get to my office. Uh, he said, I've got a meeting at nine o'clock. <laughs> yes, it was that guy. So Dave gave him a lift to that meeting and surprising enough, they got the uh, license they needed and off they went. My God shall supply all your need. What a wonderful God we have. But it's faith, you see, you've got to trust God. And it's not always in the way that we think. You know, and many of you have been through experiences where you've seen God do something that was remarkable. You know, this woman, she's down to just a pot of oil. She's got nothing left. Her sons, effectively, now have been taken captive. They're bondmen. They belong to somebody else. She's got nothing to buy them back. It was a horrible situation for a parent to be in. She's lost her husband. Everything's going wrong. You know, such a simple thing that is asked of her. Just go and gather some pots together. And sometimes God just asks us to do really simple things. And then we see God do things, incredible things through him. Psalm 34 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Simple as that. You know, we all want blessing in our lives. Not one person here this morning was saying, oh, I don't want God to bless me. We all want God to bless us. And we're told, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. We spent three weeks at the beginning of the year looking at the promises of God. If you mark them in your Bible, in whatever colour you choose, mark that one. They that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. God will provide. So that's the first lesson. It's the lesson of God's grace, that God will provide. Trust him. Second one is posterity. Let's look at this. So we pick up verse 8 and it says, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And it was so that as often as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passes by us continually. Let us make... A little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, and it shall be that when he comes to us, they shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said unto Gehazi his servant, Call this Shulamite. And when he called her, she stood before him. He said unto her, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? So the situation... She's a, a very kind, compassionate, hospitable woman. She recognises that Elisha is coming past his way quite frequently. And so she says to her husband, let's, let's build a little bit on the side of the house. And when he comes here, he can stay. So that's exactly what happens. And Elisha says, okay, you've been really good, really kind to me. What can I do for you? And he says, would thou be spoken for to the king? Do you want me to put in a good word or to the captain of the hosts? And Gehazi, his servant, who's obviously doing the relaying of the messages here, answered 
And she answered, I dwell among my own people. In other words, I'm comfortable, I've got all I need. And he said, what then needs to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, verily, she has no child. And her husband is old. And he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, about this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, nay, my lord. Thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. She's so taken by this, this statement that she's going to have a child. Obviously she's getting on in life and she's thinking, this, don't, don't lie to me, don't tease me in that kind of way. But then we read verse 17, And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elijah had said unto her, according to the time of life. So it's an incredible miracle that this woman late in life has clearly not been able to have a child to this point. And the word of Elisha suddenly, or a year on, or seemingly from that point, she finds that she's not only conceived, but then she bears a son. And the joy that must have brought to her. Clearly, having a family name, a posterity, was vital. And we see a lot of this in scripture. I mean, you read, of course, with um, Leah and Rachel, um, Jacob's wives, when Leah finally conceives, she conceived and bare a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. You see, it wasn't just about the desire to have children. It was about the desire to have a name, a family name that would continue, that would endure. Well, Exodus 17, another one of the titles of God, Jehovah Nissi. Literally, the Lord is our banner. Let me read this. Verse 14 of Exodus 17. The Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar, and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So you think, well, how does this relate? Well, it's quite simply, the, the name, the title means the Lord is our banner. The reason that Moses pronounces it at this point is literally this is the standard or the name that we march under. So in the context of the defeat of um, the Amalekites, this is what he's saying. It's the name that we advance in. You see, for us, the Lord has given us a name, an enduring name. A name that will go on generation after generation. That's the name that we are to advance in. You see, the Lord has taken away our reproach. You see, our family name was not good. But we've been grafted in. We've been adopted into God's family. Now, our family name is the same as the name of the King of Kings. That's a good name to have. You see, we've been given a name and a posterity now. In Isaiah 56, a wonderful few verses that tie this together, we read, Thus says the Lord, keep your judgment and do justice, for my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man that does this, and the son of man that lays hold on it, that keeps the Sabbath from polluting it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Neither let the son of the stranger... That has joined himself to the Lord. Now that would really speak very much of Gentiles, wouldn't it? It's the strangers that have joined themselves to the Lord, you and I. So don't let us speak saying, 
Uh, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. Of course, the eunuch not able to have any family of his own. For thus says the Lord unto the eunuchs, that keep my Sabbaths and choose the things that please me and take hold of my covenant, even unto them I will give in mine house and within my walls a place and a name better than of sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that should not be cut off. See, this woman was so keen on having posterity children that would carry forward her family name. And God says, for us, we've been given something even better than that. Because we've been grafted in. We've now been given a name that's better than just having our own lineage, our own dynasty that will carry on after us. Because we've been given the name of Christ. And we carry it around with us every day because what are we called? Christians. What a privilege, what an honour that we could be called by the name of Christ. The next miracle is one of healing. So picking up verse 18, we read, And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. Then this is the same family, of course, the child that had just been born that we've read of. So he goes out to see his dad in the field. And he said to his father, my head, my head. And he said to the lad, carry him to his mother. Clearly something's not right, so they carry him back. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. Well, this was so traumatic. Having wanted a child for so long, and suddenly in her later years to find that she's conceived, that she's given birth to this child, watch this child grow, and now this child dies. And she went up and laid, hold, and laid him on the bed and on the bed of the man of God, so this room that she prepared for, prepared for Elisha, and shut the door upon him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? And it is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well, you know, She's going to do this. She doesn't seem at this point to explain even to her husband that their child has died. She said, I know where I've got to go. I've got to go see this man of God. Then she sat on an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. In other words, don't worry about how comfortable I am. Just get going. So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass that when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, Yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy child? And she answered, It is well. She didn't want to speak to Elisha's servant. And when she came to the man of uh, God, to the hill, she called him by the feet. Because came near to thrust her away, and the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her. And the Lord has hid it from me and has not told me. So straight away, Elisha recognizes there really is something wrong. She didn't want to say to anybody else, but she's now here. And then said she, did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? She's saying, look, I didn't come and ask you for a child. I told you, don't deceive me. And well, then he said to Hazy, Gird up thy loins and take my staff in thine hand and go thy way. And if thou meet any man, salute him not. And if any salute thee, answer him not again. And lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as thy soul lives, I will not leave thee. 
And he arose and followed her. So she's saying, no, 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 you come. I don't want your servant to come. I want you to come. And Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore, he went again to meet him and told him, saying, the child is not awake. And when Elisha was coming to the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. And he went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them. So both of them, so there are the mother and his servant Gehazi are now outside and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shulamite. And so he called her. And when she was coming to him, he said, Take up thy son. She went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. And this is, again, an incredible miracle. There's a lot in this that we could dig into. And I encourage you to spend a bit of time this week, go through this more in that than we're going to be able to pull out this morning. But I want to focus on the key thing here. And that's another one of the Lord's names. Jehovah Rapha. The Lord that heals. This comes from Exodus 15. I'll just read that portion of Exodus 15 verse 26 says, uh, and said, If that will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, this is Moses speaking, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that heals thee. That's the title that we find. Jehovah Rapha is the name. Psalm 103. First three verses we read. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all thine iniquities and who heals all thine diseases. You see, we've been healed, not just from a sickness, but from the ultimate sickness. Because we've been healed from the disease of sin. That curse that was put upon the human race. And it's again a work of God's grace. None of us could have earned it. None of us deserved this life from the dead that we've been given. But we, we were spiritually dead. Everybody in this world that doesn't know Jesus Christ is spiritually dead. In the book of Hebrews we read that God is the father of spirits. And those that put their trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation are born again spiritually. Anybody that's not born again is spiritually dead. Your spirit's already gone, you're just waiting for the body to go. But anybody that is born again, with the body we know one day this body will decay, but we have a new resurrection body awaiting us. But the most important thing is that spiritually we're alive. This incredible miracle of God's grace that has taken place. There's a number of things we could draw out even with the, the idea of the sevens and so on. And we could speak of the sevens that surrounded the crucifixion, particularly the seven times that Jesus bled, or the seven places from which Jesus bled. And there's a number of things that we can tie into this. That Jesus is the one who has given us this new life because his blood was shed for us. But let's move on. Let's look at the next one, which we pick up in verse 38. 
the peace. Not just the peace that the world thinks of as an absence of conflict. But let's read verse 38. And Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land, and the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And said unto his servants, set on the great pot and see the pottage for the sons of the prophets. So they're just getting the meal ready. And one went out in the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered thereof wild gourds, his lapful, and came and shared them, uh, shared them into the um, pot of pottage, for they knew them not. So he just gathers all these things together, a very keen young man, and just gathers some very uh, poisonous um, things. Again, just, we, we could talk a lot about, you know, fruit and things like that but we'll miss that um, the, the, the point is he just gathers things he doesn't know what they are they get thrown into the pot and they, and they poured out for the men to eat and it came to pass as they were eating of the pottage that they cried out and said oh thou, oh, thou man of God there is death in the pot and they could not eat thereof so they recognise the taste obviously is such that they recognise that something is not right with this food and he said then bring meal and he cast it into the pot and he said pour thou out for the people that they may eat and there was no harm in the pot it's just a bizarre miracle if you just take it on its own in the, in the chapter but again what is it that we're to see in this well let's read on for a moment verse 42 says and there came a man from Baal um, Shalishat, and brought uh, the man of God bread of the first fruits twenty loaves of barley and full of ears of corn and the husk thereof and he said give unto the people that they may eat and his servitor said what should I set this before a hundred men? And he said, Give the people that they may eat, for thus says the Lord, They shall eat and shall not leave thereof. So he set it before them, and they did eat and left thereof according to the word of the Lord. In Mark 16, we read this Speaking of those who are Christ's, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink, any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now, <clears throat> another name of God that we read of in Scripture is Jehovah Shalom. The, the problem these individuals had, of course there was a, a threat to their life, they were not at peace. They were really anxious about the whole of this situation. You see, the one who can keep us from the storms in life, the challenges we face, the problems we experience, is also the one who can keep us in the storm. One of the things I love that Oswald Chambers speaks about is when Peter steps out of that boat to go to Jesus. Of course it's a miracle that he walks on the water. But Oswald Chambers points out that Jesus could have kept Peter under the water as well. You see, these prophets, they're gathered together eating this food... And suddenly they're in this predicament, they don't have peace. Jesus assures us that whatever the situations we're in, we can have that peace of knowing that he's in complete control. This phrase, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is my peace, we read that God gives us this peace that passes understanding. Let's move on to the next and the final one of these, in chapter 5, read through this portion of text, verses 1 to 19. Read, now, Naaman, captain of the host, the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honourable, because by him the Lord gave deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valour, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. Now, notice this young girl had been taken away captive from Israel. 
And it's incredible how the Lord will use this young girl. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, uh, my Lord, um, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him from his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. So he's going to send this gift now to the king of Israel. And we read, and he brought a letter to the king of Israel saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant, to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man descend unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? I mean, bear in mind, in Israel in those days, nobody had ever been cured of leprosy. In fact, nobody in Israel was ever cured of leprosy until the time that Jesus came. It was one of the miracles that Jesus did. The the Pharisees and the people in the land should have recognized that he was the Messiah. You see, in their law, they had this rule and how they would go about the ceremony when somebody was healed from leprosy, but it never happened. And we get in Matthew's Gospel when Jesus heals somebody of leprosy, Jesus tells them to go to the priests, tell them to go and check, see what Moses said you should do. And no doubt they went scurrying through their archives and looking back at the Torah, because they'd never done it before. And so this king now is faced with this incredible challenge. You know, this, and it says, rival nation is coming before him and saying, can you heal this man of his leprosy? And so, he says, just picking up, wherefore consider I pray you, and see how he seeks a quarrel against me. So the king of Israel is saying, okay, this is just something to wind me up. This is just trying to provoke a reaction. Because there's nothing I can do here. But then, we read verse 8, And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Where has they rent their clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with the horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha, note this, sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Such a simple challenge, simple request. But Naaman was wroth. And went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of his of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and uh, rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Well, doesn't this speak of pride? You know, what is it that prevents our cleansing? You know, we're looking at these miracles as we're going through. We've already seen wonderful miracles that God has done by his grace in our own life. You know, that God has promised to provide for us. And will continue to do so. That we have a name. That we have this incredible healing. That we have this peace. But this is an issue of cleansing. And what is it that presents the cleansing of this man? And of course, we recognize that leprosy in Scripture is always seen as a type of sin. Because it was that thing for which there was no cure. 
And that's why it waits till the time the Messiah comes. Until when in Israel we see Jesus being the one that takes away the reproach of leprosy. Takes away that disease. But it's pride. It's pride in each of our lives that prevents us from being truly cleansed. The Bible speaks a lot about sanctification, about being set apart. And that's a process that follows on after salvation. So this individual, very frustrated because he just finds it so objectionable that he's being asked to wash in the River Jordan. And again, to him, the rivers in his homeland are so much better than the River Jordan. Verse 13 carries on. And his servants came near and spoke unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, would thou not have done it? How much rather then when he says to thee, wash and be clean? <laughs> Clearly Naaman molds this over and thinks, yeah, actually you've got a point. Then he went, then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again. Like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. So he had to humble himself before God. He had to reject that which he knew. He had to reject his own way of doing things. And go for something that just seemed actually so offensive to the natural mind. But again, he humbles himself. And we're told that in doing this, his flesh is made clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. Let me give you something to say thank you. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. This is Elisha. And he urged him to take it. So Naaman urges Elisha to take it. But Elisha says, No. Don't want anything. Verse 17. And Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, to be given, be given to thy servant two mules a burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. What a change. You see, even as Christians, we can be in situations where we offer offerings and sacrifices of our time of our thoughts of our hearts and to other gods but this man recognizing the incredible work that's been done in him this cleansed life now been given this second chance and he says i don't want to offer to any other god and he wants to take this earth back with him to syria and he says in this thing the Lord pardon thy servant that when my master goes into the house of Rimon to worship there and he leans on my hand and I bow myself in the house of Rimon when I bow down myself in the house of Rimon the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing and he said unto him to Elisha saying now to Naaman go in peace so he departed from him a little way so he goes back to his land he takes his earth because he wants to offer on the soil of Israel effectively to God totally changed life so again this cleansing that we see but 
Let me just read this. Jeremiah 33, verse 15 to 16. In those days and at that time I will cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely, and this is the name wherewith she shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. That's the name. The name here is actually uh, Jehovah Zidknu, or however you would pronounce that. But the Lord our righteousness. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, we read, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, just as Naaman was cleansed, totally cleansed, so that offer is there for each and every one of us. Anybody that puts their trust in Jesus Christ can be totally cleansed from sin. And of course we read in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Again, that wonderful work of cleansing that God does by his grace in our lives. These five miracles, all speaking of God's grace. But there's one other thing to note. As we round out the chapter, let's just pick up from verse 20. We read, But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian in not receiving in his hand that which he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. In other words, you know, Elisha hasn't taken any payment, any reward. Yeah, you know, we could have had something out of this. So Gehazi followed after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, It's all well. And he said, all is well. Uh, my master has sent me, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. Of course this is an absolute lie. And Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and laid them upon two of his servants and they bare them before him. So he's just giving them these gifts and things. And when he came to the tower, he took uh, them from their hand and bestowed them in his house. And he let the men go and they departed. So they brought these gifts and things and he's bragged from them. And he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said unto him, Where have you been? Whence comest thou, Gehazi? Where have you been? And he said, uh, Nowhere. You know, you know what it's like, don't you? You, 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 know, you parents, you say to your child, what have you been doing? And they go, nothing. And they just look around and you've got that kind of little look in their eye. You're like, you've been doing something. I know you've been doing something. Verse 26. And he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee, when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants? You know, how much stuff do you really want, Gehazi? And he says, The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. You see everything getting tied together in one. Talking about his posterity, his peace is going here. The provision that he was looking for suddenly is being evaporated as well. It means nothing now. 
And no longer has he got this cleansing that he could have known. The cleansing that Naaman now has experienced. And he went out from his presence, a leper as white as snow. So we see this failure of this individual. You see, Gehazi's actions show a complete disregard for God's grace. And this is the real challenge for us. You see, God has promised to provide for us. The first miracle shows us that. We've spoken already of the way that God does miraculously things to provide for our needs. But you see, Gehazi didn't trust in God. That's the first challenge. Do you really, truly trust that God will provide for you? The posterity issue, well, that is taken away from Gehazi here as well. You see, his thoughts were only for himself. He wasn't thinking about the name he was representing, or anything about his own family line. And of course, in that passage we just read, that is now cut off from him as well. In regard to God's grace, in regard to healing, by not trusting God, he found sickness and not life. In regard to peace, he had no peace. That's now all taken away from him. All of these things he could have had. And finally, in regard to that cleansing that every believer should know, he ended up with a stain of sin upon him. You know, God's grace is one of the most important topics, subjects we can study in Scripture. Grace is, as I said earlier, it's unmerited favour. But God, through His grace, will provide for us. We have a name that we can be proud of, that we can live our lives under that authority, under that banner. We have healing from death, ultimately. We have a peace that passes understanding. And then the promise of cleansing from all sin. That's the way it should be for that life that is hidden with Christ in God. We should be living those abundant lives. But the problem here, and the difference between Elisha and Gehazi, is one of relationship. It's the relationship that they each had with God. You see, I don't know... How frequently you hear from God. But in essence, when God speaks to us, God speaks to our spirits. Very few of us will hear God in an audible voice. I've never heard God in an audible voice. Oh, but countless times I've heard God speak to my spirit. And then our spirit will communicate it to our mind. But at the same time, our flesh nature will also communicate thoughts to our mind. And our flesh nature is very, very good at it. Because our flesh nature will see something, observe something, and immediately communicate that to our mind. That's what happened with Gehazi here. You see, he recognizes an opportunity for gain. He wants something. It appeals to his flesh. It's presented to his mind. And because he doesn't really have a relationship with God, he ends up following those suggestions. You see, God's Spirit will present before us the choices that God would have. You know, a little bit like I said earlier with um, Dave Shirley, that example. You know, God spoke to him. He could have gone either way in that choice. What we've got to do is be in a place that we are in tune with God, where we hear God, where we learn to 
become recipients of God's grace because we're in a place of relationship with God so that we can hear. But if you're not reading your Bible every day, if you're not praying every day, the dominant voice in your life is going to be your flesh. They are the things that will continue to be presented to you. And so they'll be the decisions that you act upon. This is why many Christians struggle with sin. See, God's grace is sufficient. But so often we allow so much of our life to be absorbed with the world and the flesh. Those are the things that continue to be presented before us that we don't hear God's voice. But here we've got a great contrast between the life that we can have as Christians. A life where God provides, where we have this name, where there is healing, where there's peace, where there's cleansing. The abundant life that Jesus spoke of. Or even as Christians, we can live a life without those blessings. Let's bow our hearts and pray. Father, as we just allow your spirit to minister to our hearts, Lord, we want to hear from you. And Father, we want to hear your voice on a daily basis. Lord, as you provide for us, as you do these wonderful things in our lives, as you want to commune and speak with us, but Lord, we need to be in a place where we can hear you. Lord, as you speak to our spirits, may our spirits be so in tune with you because of our relationship with you that we act upon those things and we don't act upon the suggestions that come to us from our flesh. Lord, give us a hunger and a desire for that which is holy. And Lord, let us live the blessed lives that you've called us to, these abundant lives. Jesus, we thank you for your grace, for the unmerited favour. And Lord, just impress upon each of our hearts, Lord, how this should be played out in our lives. How we should come humbly before you. Just such a simple thing to do. And listen to you and allow you to lead and direct us. Lord, your word says that it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. And Father, your word also tells us that that sin will so easily ensnare us. And we have a choice of who we're going to listen to, the flesh or the spirit. But Lord, let us, along with so many of your saints, and Lord, with Paul particularly, be determined to walk in the spirit and not gratify, not fulfill the desires of the flesh. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.